Welcome to Headroom, where we discuss all things essential to mental health and well-being. I'm your host, Jim Owens, a licensed professional counselor at Lansing Community College. Before we begin, I'd like to emphasize that this podcast does not constitute psychotherapy. It does, however, introduce you to some phenomenal people who have incredible ideas for you and your life. Having said that, let's get into the headroom and begin today's conversation with Louise Rabideau. Welcome, Louise. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Well, I'm really excited that you're here. I appreciate you agreeing to do this. So I have kind of three parts to this podcast. The first is going to be for us to get a chance to know you a little bit. And then next, I'd like to ask you a little bit about what life was like for you when you were in college. And then finally, I'd like to ask, you know, for some ideas you have that can just help people in general with their mental health and well-being. That sound good? Sure. Okay. So let's get to know you a little bit. What does a good day look like to you? Mm, or a great day? A great day? Yeah. <laughs> well, it would definitely start with coffee. I'll tell you that. I do like to ease into the morning and not rush. But generally, a great day would be involve at least some time outside in nature, mm-hmm. um, time with people that I care about. Uh, hopefully making the world a little bit better place in some way or another. And, you know, just kind of appreciating life, where I'm at in life. Mm-hmm. And a big part of that, I know you, you love the outdoors and being outdoors. Yes. Camping, biking. Yep. Various other things. And I'm sure that may fit into some of your wellness, personal wellness strategies yeah, and how you, how you take care of yourself. So what are some other things you're passionate or excited about? If you wanted people to know you a little bit more, mm-hmm. what would you say? Well, I'm I'm a counselor here at LCC, and I'm am passionate about my work. So mm. that's definitely something that that drives me and motivates me. Outside of work, passionate about the outdoors. You know, mm. as you mentioned, hiking, mountain biking, mm. camping, gardening. Um, you know, dining al fresco, sitting on the deck mm. or in the hammock reading. Mm-hmm. So anything outdoors I love and rejuvenates me as part of my self-care routine. Mm-hmm. Um, just passionate about being outside. Mm-hmm. You know, thank you for reminding everybody your position at the college. I should have done that, <laughs> but you are one of our counselors, just like me at LCC. And so I appreciate you. And I know you have a big passion about that. So let's talk about that a little bit. Um, how did you become a counselor? What was your path toward, you know, in school? And I'll ask some questions about what life was mm-hmm. like in college, but how did you decide to even go to college? Was that just a foregone conclusion in your family or? Um, somewhat. Both of my parents uh, had degrees. Um, my mother had a bachelor's and a master's. She was a speech pathologist. And my dad, originally, he started off, he went into the army and mm-hmm. then went to college at LCC first and then MSU on the GI Bill, and he was a social worker. So both of my parents were in the helping professions. And so there was kind of an assumption that I would go to college. Um, My older sister went to college. So I think I always assumed I would go to college, Mm -hmm. and I was always interested in the helping professions. But I I really had no idea where I was going to school. Um, And I was a really good student in high school, mm-hmm. um, got good grades, honor society, mm-hmm. but I really, I think, was not 
emotionally ready to to think about college. And so I really dragged my feet as far as college visitations. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wasn't ready to even think about it. Mm-hmm. And I ended up going to Western because I got a substantial academic scholarship. Hey. Hey. And so it was like, that oh, works. I guess I'm going to Western. They're, mm-hmm. they're you know, paying me to come here. Mm-hmm. So Western Michigan University, it's a great university and I had a great experience there but I definitely kind of felt that I ended up there as Mm. opposed to you know chose it specifically Um, and I think probably a lot of LCC students can relate to that um, that they kind of might feel like they end up at LCC Mm. um, either because they don't have a clear career path or or um, maybe didn't get accepted to one of their other colleges. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a great experience in the end, but it definitely was not, um, it was different than, say, my sister who went to U of M who really wanted to go to That was U her dream. M. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So you had this vision, I'm going to go to college, and mm-hmm. it, it ended up choosing you a little bit more mm-hmm. than you chose it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you were accepting of that. Hey, I'll go. Yeah. And we'll see what happens. Yeah. And you knew helping professions. So what about counseling? How did you decide mm-hmm. on a major in in college? Well, I think my first and second year of college, I took a career planning class oh, that was taught by the WMU counselors, actually. Mm. And I was also looking at... Um, Uh, teaching Mm -hmm. and social work. And I realized that the part of the helping professions that I uh, was most passionate about was that one-on-one. So as opposed to a teacher in a classroom Mm -hmm. trying to help and change the world with a group of people, I was really more invested in that one-on-one relationship. And um, Western had a great social work program Mm -hmm. And I was very involved in a lot of um, advocacy and change groups and mm-hmm. and trying to make the world a better place. Through Political systemic, action groups. Yes, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I did spend a lot of time in undergraduate protesting a variety of things. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> College students should do that stuff. And yes. everyone should, you know, at some point. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I eventually, um, I worked at... A variety of jobs and most of them were the one-on-one counseling kinds of jobs I mm. was most passionate about and so after undergrad I, I worked for a while and then when I was applying to graduate schools it was really very much counseling that I wanted to focus on mm-hmm. and that and do therapy and provide that mental health support. Yeah, I think that's interesting in the in the sense that your undergrad was social work you might have thought you would have gone on for a master's mm-hmm. in social work at the time, but back then they weren't as clinically focused mm-hmm. probably as they are now because there are licensed clinical social workers who do therapy in, mm-hmm. in our city and all over. Um, but yeah, certainly counseling was the the one-on-one experience you were looking for. Mm-hmm. And, Definitely. And that's it, it's sort of in your parents' footsteps of your mom is a speech pathologist. Mm-hmm. They probably work one-on-one with people. Mm-hmm. And as your dad is a social worker, was mm-hmm. it what kind of work yeah. did he do as a social worker? Well, his degree, um, he was a social worker in the 70s and 80s and 90s. And so he worked for the state of Michigan for many years mm-hmm. um, in more of that traditional social work. Mm-hmm. What we often think of as social work with people who are in poverty mm-hmm. or with in the foster care system. Yeah. And then he ended up for many years working with the prison population at Jackson Prison. Oh, wow. Well, a little bit more about your college life. I like to ask this question. Mm -hmm. What was something that almost stopped you from graduating Mm -hmm. from college, but 
obviously it didn't. <laughs> so give us a little yeah. drama. <laughs> a little drama. Well, I will admit my freshman year was not a great year. Mm. Um, academically, I was fine. I was in the honors college. I think I was academically prepared for college. I, you know, I, I got decent grades, mm -hmm. but emotionally I was not ready to be in college. Mm -hmm. I struggled, um, you know, making friends. My, my, I was in a long distance relationship mm -hmm. with my high school boyfriend yeah. who was in another state. And I really just, I was very focused on home and family and, and I just wasn't ready to kind of spread my wings mm -hmm. and figure out what college was all about. And I was not a very happy person. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I considered leaving Western. Yeah. I considered transferring. Um, in the end, I did meet some people that became good friends mm -hmm. um, and I stuck it out. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it, what really derailed me was myself. Yeah. I was just kind of not in the heads, the head space yeah. or that, you know, yeah. the headroom to, yeah. to really invest in the college experience the yeah. way that I would have liked to. Yeah. Um, so I did go back my sophomore year and I met a lot more people and got connected. Um, incidentally, a lot of those people are friends still today. Wow. I met through, was very involved in um, my church yeah. at, at Western and many of those are my friends now. Mm -hmm. um, when I decided to go into social work, met some great people, including one of my best friends now. Mm -hmm. And so that really, I think, changed the trajectory of how I felt about um, my undergraduate experience, how I felt yeah. about Western Michigan University, how I felt about Kalamazoo. Yeah. Um, but it the first year was rocky. And I see that in a lot of my students. Um, it's People think that college is the time of your life and a mm, easy peasy right. and everyone's partying and has a great time. But it's rough, especially that first year. Yeah. No, and I think it's interesting when you left for summer break, I'm assuming you came home, kind mm -hmm. of a traditional, went away to college mm -hmm. for two semesters, came home, and then in the summer, did you kind of have to work yourself up to, because there was no promise that life was going to be better to go yeah. back for a sophomore yeah. year. I mean, you found some courage or some hope somewhere. I don't know if you can, it's not mm. that far back. Yeah. <laughs> what was, how did you do that? You know, what were you thinking that kind of, I got to go back for my sophomore mm -hmm. year? You know? Well, I think part of it was I met a good friend um, mm. and that I really connected with. Mm -hmm. And then I so she and I decided to be roommates. So that was a good connection. And yeah. so it was an investment in that. Yeah. Um, and I, I didn't have another option that seemed like a better opportunity, <laughs> like I could have come, I, you know, lived in the area. I could mm -hmm. have gone to MSU mm -hmm. or, or come here to LCC, yeah. but there was nothing else that was pulling me strongly mm -hmm. away from Western. And so I stuck it out and definitely yeah. my sophomore year was much more enjoyable yeah. um, and fulfilling. And then I made a lot of really close connections. Yeah. And really when you think about it, it is for, at least for me, but it, a lot of it comes down to those connections, those personal connections, yeah, yeah. Um, both as friends, as roommates, um, but the connections within your academic program. So it started to feel more like a home. Yeah. Yeah, I remember we had a researcher from Harvard come and talk to us once here at the school a few years back, maybe 10 years ago now, about um, how important the support system is for academic success. Mm-hmm. 
and relationships with peers and relationships, frankly, with faculty and like what we have here, coaches and advisors. Mm -hmm. And he pointed to some data that said it's really not how academically prepared you are in college that will predict if you're going to be successful in college, oddly enough. Yeah. You would think, oh, the 4.0 students are going to just sail through college. And that's kind of what you're describing here is, yeah, that was me. And I did not sail. (laughs) No, it wasn't sailing. It was rough. I was was tethered to the shore. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And that relationship with you had with a peer Mm -hmm. and then uh, I think in your community and then maybe I don't know if you had maybe a good example in adults on campus, if you'll call it that, Mm -hmm. because you would have been a sort of a kid. I Mm -hmm. guess not. You were an adult, Mm -hmm. 18, 19 year old. But were there any adults or did you have a mentor on campus or anything that was like a a link for you or an anchor? Uh, Well, I did have a couple instructors that I that were near and dear to my heart. And one of them was a social work instructor, Mm. Don Cooney. Mm. um, And he was he was just so passionate and he also was very politically connected and involved Mm. with the protest movement and ideological Mm -hmm. and, and that he was just an aspirational person and made me excited to be a social worker, excited to be involved and change the world Mm. and believe that you could do it. So he, yeah, he was an inspiration. Did you Mm -hmm. end up you know, taking several classes from him. I think I had three classes from yeah. him. Would he have known you? Could he have picked you out from a crowd among his students? At that time, yeah. 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 <laughs> I think that's important. It's just to highlight that that researcher really said it's important to get somebody on campus who knows you and checks in on you and you feel like you have mm-hmm. someone you can, as a confidant or a mentor, and probably his enthusiasm was infectious. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I agree from my own experience working at the school here, it's it's often not that I hear from students, and maybe it's just because the population we help, but it's often not that they say college is too hard. It's too academically demanding. That's generally yeah. not what I hear as the biggest barrier. Sometimes. Yeah. And it's usually math. Sorry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, you agree. Accounting. Yeah. It's accounting it's and math. math. Yeah, yeah. It's usually those. And it's, um, you know, some people, they, they don't have quite the skill set they'd like to have in those areas. But it's very often like the relationship stuff, the family stuff. And I'm using stuff. Um, I really mean it's serious stuff. Yeah. You know, it's the family relationship, feeling alone, isolated. And it's true when you walk around on campus, it's easy to just kind of get a view of everybody's walking around with a smile on their face, with a backpack slung over their shoulder, with purpose written into them. And it's not really the case. Mm-hmm. Exactly. People are, yeah. I think, struggling a bit more than we think. And I think at a community college, it's even more so because we don't have on-campus dormitories. We don't have um, community housing. And so I think that that, really the pandemic of isolation, yeah. uh, especially in traditional college age students, it's it's profound. Yeah. And um, being a commuter campus just yeah. exacerbates that. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Well, let's see, what can we offer to alleviate that a little bit? We have a student life on campus with mm-hmm. a lot of clubs, game yes. clubs and the psychology club and all kinds of ways for you to be involved uh, in sports and um, clubs and student organizations. And mm-hmm. I was a part of those when I was in college. In mm-hmm. fact, I joined the architecture club when I went to college and went to school originally to be an architect. Ah. And it was really, you know, it was fortuitous that I did that because that club, I met people. And so I had a little bit of a social network, but we also went to architectural firms every other Friday and met with architects and they'd buy pizza and pop. It was called pizza and pop with an architect. And they'd sit with us for an hour and a half and show us what their job was like and show us blueprints and talk to us about their work. And I only went to about two or three of those and I realized, oh, I do not want to be an architect. (laughs) I don't think that's exactly what I want to do. Let me start looking at other options. And it just mm-hmm. kind of opened my mind to the idea of, I think maybe 
there could be other options. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah, get involved in student uh, student life on campus yeah. to the extent you can. Okay, so let's get into some ideas here okay. about what can make life better. I mean, I call this podcast Headroom in part to call attention to the fact that it seems like too few of us have sufficient room in our heads to comfortably handle one more stressor or one more crisis or one more problem. We don't have a lot of headroom. So what's an idea or a skill that you've come across that you think could improve our psychological space where we can have a little more flexibility and regulate mm-hmm. and handle things? Well, I think one of the, when it boils down to it, I, I like to think of the concept of curiosity hmm. versus judgment. Mm -hmm. You know, we all have so many thoughts in our head and um, we judge our thoughts. We judge ourselves. We Mm -hmm. judge others, our, you know, our news, our social media. There's so much judgment and labeling. And we often take those thoughts or opinions as truth Mm -hmm. or fact. And if we could shift or entertain the idea of curiosity, you know, approaching things with curiosity. Like, isn't that interesting that I did such and such or that I had that thought? Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. And just observe it and be curious about that or curious about someone else's motivation or someone else's situation or predicament. Mm -hmm. Instead of being judgmental about it, I think that gives ourselves a lot of grace, um, a lot of space to to make mistakes and to not know, um, and just to be more of an observer um, mm-hmm. with curiosity as opposed to thinking we have to have an answer. Mm-hmm. Um, that gives us, you know, some some space to just breathe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've come across this idea myself, and I think like you're describing, you can use it as we say, intrapsychically for oneself. Mm-hmm. I can kind of observe. Oh, I'm feeling nervous in this moment. Yeah. Isn't that cute? I wonder. Yeah. You know, I wonder what that's all about. Let me feel what that feels like. Or, oh, that person's supporting that political candidate. Yeah. I wonder why, <laughs> why they would do that yeah. with a really what yeah. I I say genuine curiosity. Yeah. Right? Really? Be go ahead. No, y- yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like I know I ask a lot of questions. Um, and even even that something in my family. Like I wonder about a lot of things and. Having that sense of curiosity helps us be interested in other people and ourselves, Mm -hmm. but allows other people to show us um, more of their motivations and who they are, as opposed to, you know, thinking about, oh, well, I would never do that, Mm -hmm. or I can't understand that. Mm -hmm. It it gives us, it gives us an opening Mm -hmm. into understanding ourselves Mm -hmm. and other people. Yeah, that, that's really, so that's kind of, why would we choose to be curious? Why, making judgments is good, isn't it? Because then I know who to avoid and I don't want to have certain experiences, right? So what's wrong with judgment? But we're quick to judge mm-hmm. and the judgment brings a kind of tone with it, which is, it just, it just isn't really flexible mm-hmm. to the, or really overlay mm-hmm. on the real world very mm-hmm. well, right? Um, yeah, yeah. When in fact, curiosity invites our, an opportunity to grow and learn. Yeah. And, and sometimes, you know, our thoughts lie to us, you know, especially if we struggle with mental health issues, with depression, anxiety, um, our thoughts are not, you know, absolute truths. And so if we can even think about our own thoughts with curiosity, like, well, isn't that an interesting thought? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's important. So probably you could read more people who are listening, you could look up 
this this idea of being curious about oneself and it's a mantra we have in in counseling for sure when we're training counselors to be curious because sometimes you know when you get an education you're taught this is how people are and even as we're brought up in our families we're taught this is how people are and um, those are always um, open to revision I think so what about mental health what else about mental health what else are some things that you think are essential to mental health if somebody has good mental health it's because they have Mm -hmm. what well I think connection is so important like we were talking about connection as a college student whether that's in my story or in in our students lives but you know more and more I think the pandemic showed us that the absence of connection or in-person connection was so detrimental to our overall mental health well-being. You know, so much comes down to that connection, Mm -hmm. you know, connecting with other humans, Mm -hmm. connecting with loved ones, connecting with a sense of purpose, Mm -hmm. connecting with a passion, a hobby, uh, an intellectual pursuit that that connection i think that i often realize i'm distilling things down to connection Mm. and so when we are feeling disconnected Mm -hmm. from loved ones or support Mm -hmm. or even disconnected from our own authentic needs and wants and desires that's when we get into more trouble and get into areas of unhealth or distress Mm -hmm. and so i often that's a question i ask myself like if i'm not feeling okay or as good as i want to feel like where am i missing connections Mm -hmm. what connections can i Mm -hmm. i bolster to do better Mm -hmm. um and i think that that you know, the, as the pandemic showed us, isolation is 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 a serious issue, and we need to really foster connections where we can. So, can I push you for a little a few okay. practical things? Because okay. I hear this a lot from students uh-huh. too, and and um, there is, I think, that sense where they mm-hmm. share, like, I feel very alone. I feel like mm-hmm. I have no one to talk to, mm-hmm. um, and yet I'm also afraid to get mm-hmm. out and try to make yeah. connections. Yeah. Yeah, so oh, yeah. what do you say to people who are like, I, I agree with you, Louise, yeah. <laughs> I probably do need more people in my life. Where do I get them? <laughs> well, you know, for some people, it's it's much easier than others. If you're an extrovert, if you're social, um, if yeah. you live in an environment that you're around people, it that kind of lends itself to those connections. But if you're shy or an introvert or, you know, live in a rural area, that can be really hard. And so you can start small. You know, a connection can be with a pet. You know, it can be with um, a parent. It can be with a family member. It can be with a colleague. Um, you know, people don't become friends or close connections overnight. It takes time and it can often feel like we don't have the stamina or the energy to, to wait it out or to endure that time. Um, but you know, it's a rare find to have someone that you immediately connect with. Mm -hmm. And so often it's, it's kind of like dating. You have to keep putting yourself out there. You have to go to clubs, um, you might go to one club and really connect with people and that's your people. Um, but often you might have to go to that same club multiple times right. over and over and over. You might have to reach out to them through texting or social media in between meetings. Mm-hmm. You might have to try a variety of clubs, mm-hmm. um, you know, both social clubs, professional clubs, mm-hmm. uh, spiritual organizations. Mm-hmm. And 
and there's an element of luck mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and to it. Um, but you have to kind of put the effort into, you know, fr- relationships um, take work. And so mm-hmm. to have meaningful connections, I think it, it really is about investing and, and showing up. Yeah, one of the I, I totally agree with all that. And one of the practical things I've sort of come across with some of my students is, is they feel like they're in a class and they don't know anybody in the class because not their whole friendship came with them. All their yeah. friends came to them <laughs> with them to LCC to their classes. I always say, like, you know, you can move your seat in your classroom. If after a couple of sessions of your English class, or your psych class, you notice that those people over there, I kind of like them and they kind of like the things and they're talking about the same kinds of things I like and oh, they have a patch on their jacket that looks like a band I like or whatever, go sit by them. Yeah. You can move your chair, you know, get in proximity to people who are like you and who may like you and so on, right? Yeah, and it, but that takes risk. And it I does. think that a lot of us are risk averse. Yeah. We don't, it's scary to take a risk, even a risk as simple as moving your chair in a classroom. Because, yeah. you know, if you sit in one place the first day, that's your spot. Yeah. And so we have to be vulnerable and willing to take a risk mm-hmm. to, you know, suggest a study group mm-hmm. or, hey, let's get some coffee right. or um, ask somebody, you know, some low stakes question and see if they respond. Yeah. Those are all risky. Yeah. Um, but often we can think of what's the worst that can happen. Yeah. Um, you know, it feels like rejection if someone doesn't respond. Um, but a lot of people are also waiting for someone else to take that to make that first move. I agree. You and I both know there's other people in the classroom who wish someone would come sit by them and make a friend because they're feeling the same way. Yes. Well, that's really useful. I appreciate you sharing that. And I appreciate you coming on the podcast and talking with us, letting us know a little bit about who you are, where you came from and what you value and what your college experience was like. I think students can relate to that and appreciate that. And also these ideas of curiosity and and go for connect, you know, look for where the connections are missing in your life and make some small effort in that Mm -hmm. direction. Yeah. So I really appreciate you coming on, and um, I thank you. Well, thank you for having me on your podcast. If anyone's interested in one-on-one help with their mental health or well-being, we have a counseling center on campus that currently enrolled students have access to. You can find out more at lcc.edu slash counseling. And thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time in the headroom. Featuring the staff, faculty, students, and others that help to make Lansing's Premier College what it is today. You're listening to LCC Connect. To find out more about our featured programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. If you're considering returning to school, exploring career options, or needing support in life transitions, Lansing Community College has the Adult Resource Center available to qualified students. The Adult Resource Center staff provides one-on-one appointments, registration assistance, referrals to community and campus resources, tuition and childcare grants, academic advising, and other helpful tools to help with your educational career. To find out more information, visit lcc.edu and search Adult Resource Center. Thank you for listening to LCC Connect. I'm Paul Schwartz, and I host a show called The Safety Plan. The Safety Plan is about the latest cyber scams and how to avoid them. You can catch The Safety Plan here on LCC Connect or listen anytime at lccconnect.org. I'm William Shatner, and I've been around a long time, but I'm truly humbled 
when I see the real battles our brave, paralyzed veterans have faced defending our freedom. I was on a routine patrol, and uh, we were in the desert of Kuwait, and the vehicle flipped and landed on top of me, which uh, left me paralyzed from the waist down. Okay, folks, this, this, this is heroism. That's why I'm proud to support Paralyzed Veterans of America. Go to pva.org to learn how you can make a difference. The Lansing Community College Foundation provides scholarships that make education possible, change students' lives, and uplift our community. The foundation annually accepts scholarship applications from November through January. Learn more at lcc.edu scholarships. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. This is Amy Wagonar from the Historical Society of Michigan with a Michigan History Moment. Regulations say that we have to go out. They don't say anything about coming back. So went the unofficial motto of the United States Life-Saving Service. It was true. Regulations required that its crewmen had to use every means at their disposal to save the lives of shipwrecked sailors. They allowed no excuses. The crews could not declare weather conditions too dangerous to make an attempt. Only if they actually tried and failed could they abandon their effort. Many died trying. The life-saving service, established in the 1870s, was the forerunner of the U.S. Coast Guard. Captain Joseph Napier commanded one of the first life-saving stations on the Great Lakes. The St. Joseph, Michigan station went into service in the spring of 1877. It immediately proved its worth in the rescue of the crew of the schooner D.G. Williams on October 10, 1877. The Williams stranded on the harbor's outer bar during a gale. Her crew of six scrambled into the rigging, where they clung like treed cats. Joseph Napier commandeered a boat and with three volunteer rescuers set out to save the stranded crew. The rescuer's boat capsized on the breakers. Napier tried again, and this time they reached the wreck. They returned to the shore with two of the Williams crew. On a third attempt, the rescue boat filled with water. They bailed it out and managed to save two more crewmen. That left two survivors still aboard the Williams. Napier headed into the surf for the fourth time. A huge wave flung everyone from the boat, which badly injured Napier's leg. One volunteer swam ashore. The Williams crew threw a line to one of the rescuers and pulled him aboard the wreck. Despite injuries, Napier and his remaining volunteer brought their boat alongside the schooner. They took aboard the two crewmen and their own man and got them safely ashore. In the end, every man survived. For his gallantry, Joseph Napier became the first recipient of the Life Saving Service's highest honor, a gold Life Saving Medal, awarded on May 1, 1878. In 2016, the U.S. Coast Guard commissioned a new Sentinel-class fast response cutter. Her name? The Joseph Napier. Today, she operates out of Puerto Rico on coastal security patrols and search and rescue missions. This Michigan History Moment was brought to you by michiganhistorymagazine.org. Examining the issues and topics that affect our lives from the local level to the world stage. Listen to the programs of LCC Connect anytime at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. 
The Cesar Chavez Learning Center's Access Program at Lansing Community College creates a community on campus for underrepresented students, providing them with a support network and multiple layers of academic, social, and professional experiences. Access also incorporates workshops and resources that assist in educational and career advancement. To find out more about Access, visit lcc.edu and search Access Program. All right, everybody in the car, let's go. What are we going to do first when we get there, Mom? Go for a hike? Sure, if you want. What about canoeing? Can we go canoeing, too? I don't see why. What about a bike ride? No, I want to fish. Okay. I've never been fishing. Honey, we can do it all. How long does it take to get to the forest? It's not. Is it going to be long? No, sweetie. I bet it takes forever. It's not that far. (sighs) Are we there yet? Yep, we're here. Already? No way. Come on, come on. It's a short drive from your neighborhood to your naturehood. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a neighborhood park or green space near you. Also, find fun activities to do like boating and biking or camping and hiking, plus much more. It's all right in your naturehood. A public service announcement brought to you by the Ad Council and the U.S. Forest Service. Finish your high school diploma for you and your family. Visit finishyourdiploma.org to find free adult education centers near you. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. By utilizing interactive activities, the Youth Summer Camp at LCC gives kids in grades 2 through 12 the chance to explore science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics. Scholarship opportunities are available. Details can be found at lcc.edu slash seriousfun. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. You're listening to Art Happens Here, the podcast that explores the often curious and occasionally amazing art installations on, in, and around the campuses of Lansing Community College. I'm your host, Bruce Mackley. Art happens here, mainly because of the vision and talent of today's guest. In many ways, every single episode of this podcast has been in preparation for this interview. LCC President Emeritus Dr. Brent Knight served here from 2008 to 2020, and the scope of his efforts toward elevating this college's beauty, relevance, and appeal is unparalleled. Dr. Knight, welcome to Art Happens Here. Well, delighted to be with you and good to be in Lansing, Michigan. Such a privilege to be uh, speaking with you today, sir. I'd like to provide a brief snapshot of some of your accomplishments, if it's even possible to be brief. I could probably spend the balance of this segment attempting to list everything you've done here, both micro and macro, because it's staggering. Although we're here to discuss art, I think some of your major renovations are noteworthy because they contextualize various art installations and strongly influence the LCC brand. For starters, there's a student commons and learning commons renovations within the Gannon and TLC buildings, the massive arts and sciences building renovation, the new Center for Manufacturing Excellence at West Campus, and the reimagined Aviation Tech Center in Mason. There are at least 10 sizable and several smaller sculptures that adorn our campuses and dozens of engaging ambient learning, photographic, and fine art installations. Beautiful landscape design that includes hundreds of new trees and 
a new clock tower that overlooks our downtown campus. LCC is indeed a college like no other because of your efforts. Well, thank you. That was my goal. And I could keep going. There are leaf imprints in the cement. The list just goes on and on. What you've done is staggering. I think you could take any three of those things I tell people, any three of them, out of the dozen or so huge things, any president would be happy to look back on just three of those. Yeah. And you were like a machine. We did like a thousand images of all sorts. And when I walk about the campus, I remember most of them, mm-hmm. but there's so many, I can't remember all of them. It's great. Well, I'd like to touch on your early life and influences because I know you're into art. Sure. What do you think? I mean, you went into education or you went into business and didn't go into the arts directly? No, I was born in 1946. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you become a teenager, they would give you occupational preference exams of a sort. And my memory of it, would you rather be a logger, a miner, a fisherman, a farmer? And I realized later on that I was a creative. That was not a box to check. So as a kid, I didn't know that. I didn't understand that. And I went for pathways that were familiar and that people used at that time. I see. Well, I remember your mother when she was here and she spoke. Extremely engaging individual. She spoke at your commencement, too. I got the impression she was from an educational background. My mother was a teacher, Mm -hmm. and she was an orphan at age eight or so. And she did not have a typical childhood. And so when I was a kid, she wished me to be all that I could be. And she took me to dance. I wished to play Little League, which I did, but my mother wished for me to learn dance. So she was a big influence, obviously. And she wanted a well-rounded child. And since she had not had a typical family life, I was kind of a product of Dr. Spock. I mean, that she would read these texts and then apply it to me. (laughs) Interesting. No blueprint. Just, uh, wow. Well, she was phenomenal. So your early influences, were you into any specific artist? Um, And I'm I'm grasping at straws here, whether it's painting or sculpture were there, was there music that you leaned into that inspired you to do creative stuff? Oh, I had piano lessons for years because Mother imagined that I would be a pianist. Yeah. And it was formal piano uh-huh. and recitals. But when I went to college as an undergraduate, I just became more interested in art of all kinds and humanities. Mm-hmm. And I did an acrylic painting when I maybe was about a senior. I just all of a sudden one day decided I was going to do a modern painting. So I did. And that's the first time I dabbled in creative. And I hadn't had any formal training. I mean, I'd read about what to do. Mm -hmm. And then on my own, I would just do it. This is probably too early to get into the using art as a learning tool conversation. Mm -hmm. When we arrive at that point in your life, please bring it to the attention because I'm curious, it's all the rage now. 
You were a precursor to that when you arrived here uh, some 15 years ago. So after college, what did you do? From, from as college? an undergraduate? Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, it was 1968, and I had some really great job offers. I had my bachelor's degree in business, and I declined them all and went to graduate school. Mm-hmm. So I finished my bachelor's degree when I was 21 in June, and I went right straight to graduate school. Mm-hmm. And I earned a master's degree like 10 months later, and that had gone well. So I said, well, I'll try for a doctor's degree. And so they admitted me, and I finished with a doctor's degree when I was 24. Which led to, was it Morton or Triton? Well, my doctor's degree was essentially in being a community college president. Mm -hmm. And I had been a Mott Fellow, which was most helpful in getting a job. So I left Michigan and was hired by Triton College to be director of research and development. That means doing institutional research and then writing proposals for money. I see. Research for growing programs, programmatic research? It would be institutional research of all kinds. I just crank out studies. Mm -hmm. The president of the college would wish for a study of something, and I would write a study up, which was in my wheelhouse. I knew how to do that. Mm -hmm. And then institutional research, comparing students with other students, and I would use fundamental statistics, t-tests, and correlations, and analysis of variance, and, and I knew how to do that, and so I would crank that out, and then I volunteered for anything that they wished to assign me to, so I would learn the business from one end to the other, so I was negotiating in collective bargaining, I was planning buildings, and my first sculpture project as a college was, the college had a planetarium, and the astronaut Eugene Cernan had come from the area surrounding the college and the district. So we did a larger-than-life sculpture of Eugene Cernan in an astronaut suit And we placed that sculpture on a pedestal in front of the planetarium. I raised the money to do the sculpture. Mm -hmm. I worked with an art faculty member. His name was Ken. And we did the sculpture out of aluminum, did the patina, solved all the problems, and placed it. And then Eugene Cernan was there. So that was my first sculpture or art project while working for a college. Wow. Were you happy with it? Um, something like that is more complex than, than not. You use what's called a lost wax process. I'm familiar with that. And mm-hmm. you, you do the sculpture, you apply the beeswax to the sculpture, mm-hmm. and then you do a layer over that, and then... You put it in the kiln, and the wax runs out the bottom, mm-hmm. creating a void, and then you pour in the aluminum. The art faculty member I worked with, he did well, but this is not something we did regularly. Sure. So we had more voids than 
than we had wished, but we ended up overcoming. Mm-hmm. And the patina, we ended up getting it, but the patina was not easily done either. Mm-hmm. Well, just looking back briefly at what you mentioned with your uh, can-do attitude and your thirst for knowledge outside of your areas, it really shines a light on what I think is your current philosophy with regard to empowering people to step outside of their certain boundaries that they may have, the certain you know, self-imposed boundaries, present company included. I remember, you know, you were, when you came, you were started to empower people to think broader and to, to do things that challenge them. To imagine. To imagine and to be, it's okay to be scared. It's okay to be, you know, and it's thrilling. It, there's nothing, there's nothing quite like it. There was nothing quite like it. What other problems we had, we'd figure out how to mm-hmm. overcome. Right. And I have to mention, uh, this is widely known here, but you were um, in People Magazine at one point. You were the youngest community college president ever? Well, I was. I became president of Triton College when I was 29. Mm-hmm. And at that time, Triton College was one of the largest community colleges in Illinois and actually in the Midwest. So there was some publicity about that. And that caused... People magazine to do a story and a photo and mm-hmm. so that was great fun. Mm-hmm. Imagine be scary, I suppose. Well, my friends would see me at looking at People magazine in the dentist's office from, you know, my my past and yeah. so that was just real interesting and mm-hmm. I had been used to local reporters, mm-hmm. but when the Time Life people showed up, that was a different order. Mm-hmm. And the photographer wished me to do various poses, and some of which I declined. Mm -hmm. They wished me to do what I'll call a King Kong, and I wasn't going to pose for a King Kong photo, but Mm -hmm. they they would have wanted that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you get into media training real quick when you have to. Things can go sideways. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I bet you felt at some point like you had a tiger by the tail. I know I certainly would, you know, something like that. Um, but having that mindset that anything's possible and there's another day and another day will come. Um, it's just I think more people could uh, could benefit from that personal philosophy. You know, let's get into uh, coming here. I mean, let's just dive in. Um, coming to LCC, it would have been 2008. I think you were a consultant prior for us? I I had been president of Morton College in suburban Chicago Mm -hmm. for five years just before I came here. So I left Morton College and and came straight to Lansing. Mm -hmm. But yes, I had had other presidencies and I was a president for 29 years, grand total. Mm -hmm. I was a president in Tacoma, Washington as well. And in the middle of it, I was a vice president of Meyer Incorporated for seven years, where I was in charge of designing and building stores. And also I was chairman of the board of the Frederick Meyer Gardens the year before it opened. Wow. Were you involved in the Da Vinci horse acquisition? No, that was after that. But Fred Meyer, over the years, had collected sculpture. Mm -hmm. And he had put them in a building. Mm -hmm. And they were 
almost all in crates, not seen by anyone. Wow. And I worked with Fred, and we cracked open all the crates, and then it was my job to figure out where to put them. Wow, and that must have been so cool. It was. It was great fun. <laughs> yeah. And it had to design pathways to get to them and place them yeah. and what's next to what and what goes inside and what goes outside. And some of his sculptures were very valuable mm-hmm. and others less so. So then you had wonderful quality items and then some not so much. Mm-hmm. And then where do you put it? And, and so it was a very interesting exercise. And I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I can imagine the insurance issues and fundraising. Yeah, I was involved in, that was my exposure to big-time fundraising. People with vast resources and working with them was very fascinating. Yeah, it's something of a jewel in the Midwest. I remember we took our boys up there when they were younger, and I wasn't prepared for the scope of the work. I mean, Chululi Glass there, you know, in the building. And I think you hosted a Chiluli exhibition uh, years later outside and uh, just very metropolitan for the area. Yeah. And the Grand Rapids area is metropolitan anyway. I mean, it's... Uh, yeah. It I, I suggested that the garden do Christmas around the world. Mm-hmm. And that is still ongoing. Every year they have Christmas around the world. And those are Christmas trees, largely as they would be in other countries Mm -hmm. and the customs and how the ornaments and all. And that continues to be a big draw. Which is a learning exhibition. Oh, yeah. Come away from it smarter. Oh, yeah, it's cool. And uh, when we started, you know, there was nothing. You wanted it to be a year-round. So I just said, hey, let's do Christmas around the world. (laughs) So... (laughs) That was it. So they've done it ever since. Yeah. Wow. Um, Well, you know, what did you think of LCC? I mean, I know that's a broad question. I mean, as it relates to aesthetics. Well, architecture is often a consequence of the year that it was built. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are various styles of architecture that, and they change over time. Mm -hmm. And, like you take Michigan State and their slate roof around the Union there, various residence halls, and they have a classic design. Mm-hmm. And they were built in the 30s and 1929, and it's a wonderful design. Yeah. But that was a design of that time. Well, when LCC was built, architecture, they liked concrete, raw concrete, And there's a name for it. It's called brutalism. Indeed, there is. And brutalism has not withstood the test of time very well. Like you take those buildings at Michigan State that I mentioned. I mean, they're treasures today, Mm -hmm. and they're they're appreciated. Brutalism is not appreciated. It looks punitive. It it, It really does. It's rough and cold, Mm -hmm. and it kind of seems like a prison. And it's tough to clean. It's off-putting. So a lot of places, 
public buildings like that. They're trying to figure out how to cover up the concrete and how to manage it. And LCC had a whole lot of brutalism. So I wanted to be inviting. So we worked at managing the brutalism. And I did my utmost to make the college inviting to all and the place that people would want to go and think well of. Well, I think you overshot the mark, sir. <laughs> I just, uh, anyway, we'll, we'll get to that in a later talk. What were your priorities? Did you have any specific priorities when you came on board? Well, community college presidents, all of them, again, I've been around the business a long time. They almost all worried about being fired. You're just worried. You got seven board members and, you know, many community colleges presidents are dismissed or it is suggested that they go elsewhere, various forms of not being president anymore. Hmm. So that's on your mind. And LCC was a very troubled college when I came. So your first order of business is to get established mm -hmm. and have a firm footing and you can win the job, but then you have to earn the respect of people. Mm -hmm. And so you, the day after you win the job, you better be about the business of earning respect. Mm -hmm. And once you establish yourself, then you can start to venture out and do things. And as soon as I thought that I could, I started to work on landscaping and softening the brutalism. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget, I, I had done some work over by the fire station and a member of this house, Michigan House of Representatives called me on the phone. And she said, gee, I noticed that you've been doing some work there. I want to tell you that it looks nice. Mm -hmm. So so that was my my first tiptoe into changing the campus. Yeah. Yeah. Well, from a House representative, that's that's noteworthy. Not to delve too far into um, policy or whatnot, but I remember I was in media services at the time. And there was some issue we were having. It was when you first came on board within the first month or so. I don't know what it was. It was the kids, their enrollment status or their financial aid. Something was was um, going sideways. And you decided it would be good for them to have availability to admissions people 24-7 um, or around the clock or at least through the night for a week. Yeah. And it was um, it was a game changer. With, um, I remember it being a game changer with many, many people here because they realized that, um, you know, think outside the box. That's about the students yeah, at the end of the day. Prior to coming to Lansing, I had run 24 hour registration mm -hmm. at two different colleges and it worked. It amazed me the number of people who came at two in the morning. Wow. I mean, it wasn't a whole lot, but it was enough to matter. Right. And so I wanted to expand the number of hours. And it, it sent a message to the community, too, that you're welcome here. We will work with you, accommodate you, 
help you. And if you're working till midnight on your job, you can come here after that and we'll be open and we'll help you. So there's, it's the direct as well as the indirect benefits that you're signaling to the community. Mm -hmm. Well, it resonated. I remember that. And that was good 15 years ago. Uh, One metric that I'll always, uh, people are so sick of me saying this, but there's one metric you can apply to your day-to-day here. It's respect students' time. You can apply this to wayfinding. You can apply this to parking, to scheduling classes. Uh, pick something. Uh, web navigation, you know, we're looking at our website and trying to figure out if there are any little bumps that need to be sanded down or smoothed to make it easier to get in and get what you need. Sure, that's always you have to work on that. It's never static. It's a dynamic, mm-hmm. and you have to just keep plugging away. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the first art items, placemaking items that I can remember was um, the granite seal that we put into Washington Square. Yeah. You know, we did a did a seal. We designed it for the presidential medallion, and we enlarged it, and it came back beautiful two-color granite. I think yes. it was at least seven feet across, eight feet across, something like that. Well, Chris Drugerfritsch was in charge of facilities at that time, he mm-hmm. and Tim Martz, and they would listen to me talk. And I was so appreciative that Chris Struger-Fritsch, I didn't tell him to do this. He just listened to me, and then on his own, he did the seal on his own. That wasn't me. He just listened to me and then acted. And then he found that sculpture the chrome over by dart Mm -hmm. he found that and acquired Uh it it had been owned by the city but it was in crates i think the rivera sculpture yeah and he found it and and helped us to get it and that was awesome it just appeared one day i remember when i was a kid i'm a little kid we're driving by and it was a big deal because it was a, from a federal arts grant. Yeah. And they, in fact, I know someone um, whose father-in-law was in on that, sat in on that acquisition. It was a very big deal. It, it originally sat down by on Michigan Avenue right there at Washington and had a motor in it and rotated. Yes, it rotated. It, that was part of the design. And Struger Fritsch was able to get it from the city. Yeah. We installed it and... Blew my mind. Awesome. I would actually think through the years, I think about that. I wonder where it's at. Well, city, maybe it's crated up or maybe they sold it. You know, it would cross my mind every so often. And um, I'm walking down Capitol. One day I'm walking to a meeting and I glance, I look over between Dart and Mackinac and it's sitting, it's right there. Yeah. It's right there, you know, and it's the pavement was poured correctly and it's beautiful. Uh, Jose Rivera. I yeah, mean, yeah. It was. Uh, I have no idea. If someone told me it was worth a hundred thousand, I, I, I bet it is. I mean, I don't know what it's worth, no. but I know it to be valuable. No, it's aged well, and I remember the the media splash it made from when I was a kid. I'm like, I don't know, eight or nine, you know, and I remember this this thing. Well, sir, we're running out of time, but I wouldn't mind having you back for another talk, if that's okay. Sure. Glad to. Dr. Brent Knight, it has been fantastic catching up with you, and I look forward to another talk. Yeah, me too. Thank you. John Maida once said, simplicity is about subtracting the obvious and adding the meaningful. 
If you want to check out what I've been talking about, just visit this episode at lccconnect.org. Art Happens Here is a production of LCC Connect. Thanks for lending us your imagination. This is WLNZ Lansing. You're listening to LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. To find out more about LCC Connect programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Vision.